podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Last week we began the series called Coming Soon, and the idea behind the series is we're talking about the church that we see, particularly New Life Church, and by way of setting it up, we said, okay, look, to be a Christian means to be in on God's story. It means to be in on what God is doing in the earth. And, and the thing that we've got to realize is that it's not just a, oh, hey, yes, I said yes to Jesus. He forgave my sins. Now I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I get to, to go to heaven when I die. That's all true. But there's a much larger story than all of that. That right from the beginning, God has been at work within creation to rescue and redeem. He chose this one family, this family from Abraham, to, to start with. They became this nation. He was working from within them. From this nation came the person, Jesus. Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, we now have become the people of God. What does that mean? What does it mean from a, a wide-angle lens to be the people of God? And then what does it mean particularly as this local body, as New Life Church, what does it mean to be this expression of God's people in Colorado Springs, Colorado? So last week we said, okay, well, there, there's something about worship and connecting with one another and serving and all of that, and we, and we talked about some things. But here's week two of this, and it's a video from this morning of, of Pastor Matthew Barnett, and I, I'm so excited for you to watch this. And the, the reason for this, you know, when we began the service in September, we were doing videos quite a bit, and then we switched to all live in November. But every once in a while we'll do something like this when there's a guest speaker because there's something about what was said this morning that all of us need to catch as the New Life Church family. And here's, here's, the, here's the thing about this. Last week we said this, but identity is more important than activity. What, who we are as a church must be settled before we talk about all the things we're going to do. Well, one of the core things that we believe about New Life Church and who we are and who we are called to become, maybe to admit that we're not quite there yet, but that we're in this journey of becoming, is to be a church that understands, that feels God's heart for the least of these, that has this burden, has this compassion, that is moved with it. And so you, some of you may be familiar with the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And, and, and Pastor Ray has developed a friendship with Matthew, Pastor Matthew Barnett from out there and, and has been out there and, and spoken out there. And there's something about what they're doing that is lighting a passion inside of us here that says to us, in fact, the way Pastor Brady said it this morning is he said, look, the first four years of his, of his journey with Christ when he first became a Christian was spent serving in, in the, poorest, the poorest of the poor in his city. And he made a determination, made a commitment that if he ever became a pastor of a church, that that same thing would be said about our church. And so there's something about this that he wants us, that we need to catch, that we need to, to sort of say, okay, wait a second, what does this mean? And, and, what? and So you're going to hear some cool stories. You're going to hear some really, really cool stories. And, uh, and my hope is we listen to this together, and I'll come up again in the end and unpack it and close this out for the last 10 minutes or so. This is only going to be about 20, 28, 29 minutes. Um, and then I'll come up and, and, and yak for a little bit more, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dismiss together, okay? But, but hey, let's open up our hearts, and let's, let's see what the Lord would, would stir in us tonight, okay? 
Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. Nehemiah, I'm not going to preach long. Everybody who believes a preacher, say amen. I got like four people said amen to that, but your faith will build as the service goes on. But I just, I'm going to make, a, I'm going to make the quickest uh, plug for stuff of all time. I have material at the back. I got sermon series. I'm done. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard of it, heard of what? Heard of Nehemiah's dream to rebuild the walls of the city. It displeased them greatly that somebody came to seek after the welfare of the children of Israel. These men didn't like the fact that somebody came to rebuild the hopes and the dreams of the people of the nation. And I'm going to talk to you today about seeking after the welfare of your city. Seeking after the welfare of your city. Father, I pray as I deliver this message. The word welfare in the Greek means prosperity, the well-being, the happiness of the people. And God, I believe that we have, you have called us to raise up the joy and the spirits of our cities in such a powerful way, Lord. And I pray that message would come across so strong today in Jesus' name. Amen. At the age of 20, I came into the inner city of L.A. to pastor a church. I was taking over from a church of a pastor that was 82 years of age. So in one week, they went from the oldest pastor to the youngest pastor in the city in the very first week. The first week I was there, I inherited 18 Christians in my church. I inherited 18 of the meanest people you ever met in your life. I mean, just to get enough encouragement to preach my sermon, I had to read that scripture, be not dismayed by their faces. I mean, it was a rough crowd. And the first week I got there, I said, man, I'm like Tommy Barnett, so I come from that family of dramas and illustrated sermons. I said, I'm going to mix things up around here. I'm going to take that organ, and I'm going to move it from one side of the stage to the other to give me more room for my dramas. That was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. I lost half my church in the first week because I moved the organ from one side of the stage into the other. And everybody was leaving my church. My dad's church in Phoenix went from like two to like 5,000 in like two years. My church went from 18 down to two in the very first six months. I can tell you how to reduce your church. I'm an expert at it. We were having revival in reverse. That's what was going on. And I was so discouraged one night as I looked at my 700 seat building and nobody showed up. Not one person showed up for a Sunday night service. So I went home and I just began to cry in my apartment in downtown L.A. for about four hours as a 20-year-old preacher. And I just said, God, I'm the biggest failure in all the world. Maybe the anointing was on my grandfather and my father, but maybe it skipped a generation with me. And I began to weep. And after hours of crying, the Lord spoke a word to me. He said, I want you to stop your crying. I want you to get up and I want you to go to Echo Park. Now, for God to tell you to go to Echo Park in the middle of the night is a pretty bold word. I mean, there have been dead bodies found in the bottom of the lake and guns. I thought God was mad at me for being a big old baby and was just going to finish me off in a drive-by shooting and get somebody there who really could do the job. And everybody was leaving my church. I was so discouraged. I went to the park that night. I'll never forget what I saw. I saw helicopters that were looking for criminals in the park. I saw uh, gang members being arrested up against a police car, getting beaten down. And I saw homeless people in the park. It was as if God put every hurting person in one place in one night. And that night, God spoke a word to me. He said, the problem with you, young man, is this. You are so addicted to your dream of being a success that you cannot find the dream that I have in your life. You are so concerned about who shows up and who doesn't show up. He said, tonight in this park... For the rest of your life, I want you to die to the dream of being a success. And I want you to live the rest of your life to the dream of building the dreams of every single one of these kids in the neighborhood and making their dreams become a reality. 
And that night, God changed me. I went back to my office, and back then, I was the only staff member we had. I was a secretary. I was a pastor. I was a youth pastor. I was a janitor. I was everybody. So people would call our church. I'd answer. I'd say, L.A. Dream Center, how are you doing? They'd say, great. They'd say, do you have a youth pastor? Can I talk to you? I would say, yes, we do. And I would change my voice and make it look like we had a youth pastor. How many here know when God gives you a dream, you got to fake it till you make it sometimes, you know? And, uh, and I would study outside for my sermons every Sunday morning. Uh, all week long, actually. And as I was studying for my sermon on Sunday, people would walk by in the neighborhood. And, and moms would take their little kids in the neighborhood. And I learned to speak Spanish just by talking to all the families in the neighborhood. And I'd be outside. I'd have a big old jar of candy bars. And, and um, everybody would call me Huero, which means whitey. And I didn't know that in the neighborhood. They'd be like, hola, Huero. Como estas, Huero? And I, I didn't know what that meant. I, oh, glory to God. And... Uh, and they would come by, and I, and I would just give away candy, and all of a sudden, God began to just start to change the neighborhood. We got our first home in the neighborhood that opened up, and we started taking in drug addicts that were getting saved, and people in the neighborhood, and gang members whose lives are being turned around. Then we got our second home, and third home, and before long, we had 16 homes in the neighborhood that were being filled, and the church that went from 18 to 2, trying to be a success, went from 2 to 700, and the next six months, not even thinking about the word success. And then one day I opened up the word of God, which is a good idea. And I read the scripture that said, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. And that one verse changed my life. And I took those 12 words. I went home. I cut out pieces of paper in all thy ways, acknowledge him. And then he shall direct thy path over here. And I said, God, I'm going to spend the rest of my life standing on this side of the line, acknowledging you. And how do I acknowledge you? By acknowledging the people that you love the most. By the hurting and the afflicted and the homeless and people that are broken. And if I acknowledge you, you will direct my path. Which means you will determine the kind of success that I will have. And I never have to worry about it ever again. All I have to do is spend my life acknowledging you. And it changed my life. And God began to bless. And we ran out of room in that neighborhood. One day I'm driving down the Hollywood freeway. And I look and I said, God, we need a building. And I looked to my right, and lo and behold, I see the biggest hospital I've ever seen in my life. 400,000 square feet on the Hollywood um, freeway, sitting there, right two miles from Hollywood Boulevard, a mile from the sky rises of downtown L.A. We're so close to the Church of Scientology building, I could hit Tom Cruise with a rock if I threw a building. That's how close we were. I didn't do it, I promise. I love Tom. And, uh, and so, and I was driving out, and it said, for sale on the building. I pull over to the side. I'm 23 years of age. I pull over to the side, and I go into the building, and I said, I want to make an offer on the building. But before I did that, I walked onto the campus, and I saw Brad Pitt and George Clooney there. They were filming a movie right there on site, Brad Pitt and George Clooney. So I walked up, and I ran right into Brad Pitt. I said, Brad Pitt, man, how you doing? And he was kind of shocked because I was so confident talking to him. He looked at me, and he stopped. He, and back then, we were on TBN. We had a show every single Friday night. And he stopped and looked at me, and he pointed his finger. He said, I know who you are. He said, you're Matthew Barnett. He said, I flip the channels, and I watch you every single Friday night. No, he didn't say that. I'm just messing with you. My bad. And uh, I got you. Just my imagination. And, uh, I walked in there, and I'm 23 years of age. I said, I want to buy the building. How much is it? Everybody started laughing. They said, this is only for serious buyers, and Paramount Studios is going to buy it for $16 million. And back in 1996, I said, you have, they said, do you have that kind of money? I said, no, but I got a big God. They weren't impressed. They kicked me out and wouldn't even let me make an offer of the building. You'll say, what did you do? Well, when nobody was looking, there was a door that was open. 
And I looked to my left and I looked to my right and I saw the security and I snuck in and I gave myself a tour of the building. How many here would know when God gives you a dream, you got to go gangster sometime. I mean, you just got to do what you got to do. And as I'm walking through that building (laughs) illegally with one eye on Jesus... And when I am a security guard that's trying to arrest me, that's why the Bible says watch and pray. Sometimes you got to get a vision and run from the cops at the same time. You know, I'm getting a dream. And the Lord had to do a quick work in 10 minutes. And I start walking through those floors. And as I was walking through those floors, I began to see the vision. And God spoke to my heart as I went to the 15th floor and I looked over the city. I saw Hollywood. I saw L.A. And I looked over the entire city and God spoke something so clear to my heart. He said, 24 hours a day, the pimps and the pushers and the drug lords are working 24 hours a day to destroy mankind. 24 hours a day, the adult film industry is preying on young kids that run away from home that end up in Hollywood. If they can work 24 hours a day, I want you to build a church that will be open 24-7. I said, what do you mean, God? The kind of church that if somebody had a heroin addiction in the middle of the night, somebody would be there to open the door and help them detox and walk them through a year recovery program to get their life back together again. The kind of church that instead of a prostitute going to jail, the police can drop them off at the Dream Center and their lives would be transformed. I want you to build a 24-7 church. And to make a long story short, in the next 18 months, we, made it, we, we, we talked to the Catholic church before. And we sat down, we said, look, they wouldn't let us make an offer, but can we talk to the sisters that own the Catholic hospital? And so we met together with the sisters, and we began to tell the vision. They began to cry. They said, this is so wonderful. They said, go ahead and make us an offer. I looked at my dad. He looked at me. We didn't expect the meeting to go that good. We just kind of threw out a Hail Mary just to see what would happen, you know. And uh, we looked at each other. My dad said, $3.9 million. And you know what? They accepted our $3.9 million against a $16 million studio from Paramount Studios. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness, $3.9 million is still a lot of money. I mean, my whole church was homeless and runaways. I mean, my crowd looked like the Jerry Springer studio audience. I mean, it was a rough crowd. And I feel sorry for the spotlight that's trying to follow me right now. I might be, I might be more mobile than John Bevere. That's my goal this morning. And as we begin to move forward, now God's given this building and 700 people are living in the building. We have um, um, thousands of people being fed. 2,000 hot meals a day are being served. A clothing store open all day long. 40,000 people a week are being ministered to. A week, food in the neighborhood. And now we've opened up a home for girls that are victims of human trafficking that are being brought into the Dream Center from the DEA. We have one of the first residential long-term treatment facilities for girls that are in human trafficking. And now we've already got our first girls that have come into the program and, and the government's saying we like you guys people are saying but the DEA is saying all the other programs they have to we could just drop them off all hours of the day three o'clock in the morning and somebody is always there and God said I want you to be a 24-7 a church that will never sleep you see there used to be a day in my life where I dreamed of preaching to thousands and I love it but now still whenever I preach I'm always thinking about the one Whenever I preach, I think about a young girl. She was a runaway from Hollywood. She ended up on the streets. Before long, all she knew was foster care homes, and she never had a life. And, and she ran away into Hollywood thinking life would turn around for her. She ended up on the streets. She was selling her body as a prostitute. She became pregnant from a man that came in town one day, picked her up, and that night she became pregnant from that man. All of her friends told her to abort the baby, but something in her heart said, maybe if I had this child, it will start to bring me out of the life of prostitution. She kept the child to everybody's surprise. 
Meanwhile, we've got a ministry that goes out in the middle of the night and we rescue runaway prostitutes. At, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, we have young ladies that go to Hollywood, Santa Monica, different places, and they carry roses and they walk up to these young girls. And they say, yeah, and they don't judge them and say, you're going to hell and you're awful. They just say, you know what? God loves you so much. And this rose represents how beautiful you are in the eyes of God. And then we say, do you want to change? They say, yes. We say, you see that big old guy down the street? He's acting like he's picking you up in prostitution, but he's not. He's from the church. Go over there and act like you're talking to him, and we'll put you in our van, and we'll steal you away from your pimp, and we'll smuggle you out and bring you back to the dream center where you can live and have your life changed. Well, one day... This young um, prostitute um, got in our car and we went down the Hollywood freeway and the pimp was chasing us down the Hollywood freeway with his car. So we called the dream center. We said, look, this pimp is trying to get one of our girls. We need to make sure he feels very unwelcome when he gets back to the dream center. And the guy pulls around the street and he looks and there's about 200 ex-convicts standing outside the building, folding their arms, going like this. Now these guys are saved, but they're just barely saved. I mean... If we backslide, we gossip. If they backslide, they kill you. In our church, we got ex-drug addicts, convicts, prostitutes, or murderers. And that's just a pastoral staff. That's not including all the other people we got going on in the church. And this guy saw a rougher crowd on the church than he saw on the street. And he got back out. And he never came back again. And this young lady was living in our program. She would go 10 months and she would never graduate. She would always fail. And I got one, and I, I, I kept trying to encourage her. I tried every method to get this girl to graduate from our program, but she would always fail at the very, very end. I tried the wonderful Joel Osteen method, and it's a good one. I looked her in the eye, and I said, you know what? There's a champion inside of you. Your best life is right now. This is my Bible. It is who I says I am. It can do what it says I can do. I mean, it's a good method. But it didn't work, so then I tried the Dr. Phil method. You know, you know, I got in her face and asked the hard questions. And finally, she opened up. She said, I was a prostitute. I had a baby. Believe it or not, even though I didn't know the man, I loved this child. I was bringing me out of the life of prostitution. She said, Pastor, one day I was in my room. I was holding my baby. My pimp walked in, loaded up on drugs. And he walked in. He saw me holding my baby. And he said, this baby right here is costing me money. I'm going to make sure this never happens again. And she said, Pastor, as I was holding my baby in my arm, my pimp walked up, pulled out a gun. And he put up to the head of my child and pulled the trigger and murdered my baby in my arms. And then he went into the bathroom and got a hot curling iron, did something to be so vicious to where I never can have children again. She fell to her knees and cried. She says, that's why I'm not worthy of any success in my life. And I opened up the word of God, and all I knew to do was to read the promises of God. I started reading every scripture of restoration I could think of, everyone I could find the concordance. I just began to declare the greatness of God over her life. And as I began to pray all these things and read the word, she jumped up. She said, Pastor, if this is really true, that God can do all this for me. She said, I promise you, I'm going to go back to the streets, and I'm going to change my city for the glory of God. She started going. She got saved on that day, went back to the streets of Hollywood, and started ministering to so many prostitutes that that the police came to us and said, can you please tell this girl to stop? She's now ministering to all the undercover agents that are trying to arrest all the prostitutes on the street. And her life was transformed. She came up to me a few weeks later. She goes, Pastor, I got a brand new ministry. I'm starting. I said, what's that? She said, we're not doing this in the church. I said, I bet we are. She said, we're not. She said, I got a brand new ministry. You told, you told me that, that whoever starts the ministry, instead of saying we need to do this, you appoint them as a pastor. Someone comes up to me and says, we need to help all of our people that have legal problems. I said, that's a good idea. Now appoint you the pastor of legal problems of the church. That's why you never bring up a ministry because I just make you the pastor right there. 
She came up. She said, um, we're not doing it. I know we're doing it. She said, no, you're not doing it, Pastor. I said, what's that? She said, well, I'm starting a new ministry called the Pimp Ministry. I said, you're right. We're not doing it. She came up to me. She said, I go, what's your ministry? She said, well, I go to the donut shop where all the pimps make their deals. And I open up my Bible and I preach the gospel to all the pimps. I said, do they like it? She said, no, they hate it. But you told me I'm supposed to preach the gospel whether they like it or not. I said, yeah, I'm just preaching, but I don't mean half the things I say when I'm preaching. Not literally, you know. And uh, she came back the next week. She said, Pastor, it's going so good. I said, what's going on? She says, well, the pimps know I'm going to preach, so now they give me 10 minutes. They put the donuts on the table, and they said, girl, you got 10 minutes to preach. Go get it out of your system. She came back the next week. She said, Pastor, it's going so good. They invited me to one of their functions. I said, functions? What are you talking about? She said, they invited me to the pimp convention. I said, I never even know there was a pimp convention. She said, yes, there's a pimp convention. They honor the pimp of the year. I said, you're not going, are you? She said, yes, I am. I'm going to get all those pimps saved. I said, well, may the Lord be with you as you go. I shall not go with you, but may his blessing be upon you. And she got, but before she did that, she went to our rehab home and talked to our guys and said, how many of you guys used to be pimps? A couple guys raised their hand. And she said, "Um, can you help me put together a pimp track in the language that the pimps use on the street? So they got a $100 bill on the back. It had a salvation message on how you could be born again in pimp language. And it said, yo, playa, the devil's trying to put you into his momo, which means motel. And wants to put you into one of his stables. But Jesus is the ultimate Mac Daddy who's come to free you from the momos and the stables. And I mean, all this language, I mean, it's crazy stuff. So the pimp of the year goes to the Hollywood Key Club. He's getting out of his limousine, and he starts walking down, and everyone starts flashing bulbs at him and lights and cameras, and, and, and all of our workers start throwing $100 bills at him, and he's swimming in the graffiti of $100, confetti of $100 bills. And as he's swimming in the confetti, all of a sudden, all the pimps start looking at it, and it's like a salvation message on how you can be born again in pimp language. They laughed. All we know that is, that's a church girl. She's one of us. And they, and they came up to her and said, you're pretty cool for coming to one of our events. They said, now we'll go away. We'll do whatever you want us to do. She said, I want you to come to church with me on Sunday morning. Saturday, she called me on the phone. She said, Pastor, get ready. You're not going to believe this. I said, what's going on? She said, you're not going to believe this. Preach really good tomorrow. I said, why? She said, the pimps are coming. The pimps are coming to church tomorrow. And I looked up in the balcony, and I saw 14 pimps walk into the building. I mean, I'm talking purple coats and pink jackets and big hats and aquarium shoes and the whole thing. I mean, these guys were walking in. And, and I mean, I've never seen more purple and pink jackets in all my life. The only time I've seen more purple and pink jackets is when I'm a guest on Christian television. Otherwise, I've never seen more than that before. And those pimps came down. I, I gave the invitation. I couldn't believe it. I looked. And they raised their hands in the air. Some raised their cane in the air. And I gave the invitation. Those pimps, it took them three hours to get down there because they had the cool walk going on. But when they got there, I gave the salvation message. And, and they, they accepted Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the look as the pimp was saying, Jesus, come into my life. As the spotlight was reflecting off his grill. As he was saying, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And I began to realize something in my life. I began that God has called me to seek after the welfare of the city. I have never used drugs in my life. I've never tried alcohol. And it's not about relating. It's about showing them something they've never seen before. I went to Bible college. And said, you got to know how to relate. And I tried to relate. I'd walk around with baggy pants in my neighborhood, look like it was M&M or something, or vanilla ice. And I'd say, yo, dog, what's going on? They would laugh and say, dude, that's not you. Just be who you are. And I realized it wasn't about relating. 
It was about showing them a life and something they've never seen before. It was about being in the neighborhood. We've been in that neighborhood for 16 years, fighting every single day. Liquor stores have come and gone. Drug dealers have come and gone. But the church of Jesus Christ has been there 24 hours a day, serving the people of the neighborhood. And we saw crime drop 73% in three years in the neighborhood. Because government can't change it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's people set ablaze to make a difference. We've been offered millions of dollars to, of grants that would say, you know, in your medical ministry, if you talked about abortion, we'll give you millions of dollars. We turned it down. You know why? Because the church of Jesus Christ has built something in the inner city of Los Angeles that has totally got the world mystified in the community of how transformation has taken place. But I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. When you die to your dream of yourself and you live to the dream of being a blessing and you forget about all those things, one day you wake up and you find your dream. But it's bigger and better than anything you could plan on paper because you inherit God's dream. And now whenever I get up, I don't think about doing a great work. I just get up and say, what can I do to seek after the welfare of the people? Easter Sunday was supposed to be a real kind of nice day for us to have a big service. And, and it was a great service. But we got a call the night before from a young lady. She was over by the, the, the Dodger Stadium area. And she said that she was being... Um, her and a few girls were trafficked in a hotel and she heard we had a place for girls like that. And we, we had no idea how she got our number or anything. She called and she said, well, our, our, the, the trafficker is in this hotel room and he's shooting us up with heroin right between our fingers and our toes. And she said, we need someone to help us. Someone to be there. Will you be there? She said, I can escape for a few minutes. I, I can take about 15 minutes. I can meet you at 1030 at this certain spot. Will you please pick us up? And I got a call on Easter Sunday saying, Pastor, would you mind if our staff and a bunch of big guys in our program, really big guys, left church early to go pick up a girl at 1030 between services. That's traffic that we can bring her in. And we picked her up at 1030 and rescued this girl off the street. And she enjoyed 11 o'clock Easter service right there. And I never dreamed we'd do this kind of work. I never dream I work with convicts and my staff. I mean, I've had guys in staff that I've raised up and, you know, they've been two, three years saved. They were South Central Crips. One of my secretaries was a, was a stripper for like 10 years. I mean, my whole minute, I don't have one person that was raised in the church. Pretty much working with me. Just a bunch of people who have been redeemed by the power of God and their lives are being changed. And I realize that God didn't call me to be Tommy Barnett's. You know what? The Bible says to him that's much given, much is be required. I used to think that meant that I'm required to go beyond my father and what I accomplish in life. That's not what it means. It means that because of the legacy of two generations of great fathers in my life who have poured so much, to him that much is given, much is be required. I am required to take all that influence and gather all that influence and use it for kids in the neighborhood who have no voice, who have no fathers, who have no life. And to lay down my life for this cause of seeking after the welfare of the people. I close with this. The first day I came to L.A., I was 20 years of age. I'm the only white kid within five miles of any direction in my neighborhood. I was so skinny back then that whenever I stuck out my tongue, I looked like a zipper. That's how skinny I was. Scared of my own shadow. The only reason why I was pastoring is because 10 guys turned it down. And my dad said, why don't you come help me pastor for six months? I mean, I was on a six-month contract. Supposed to just preach a few sermons to tread water until my dad found a real pastor. First day I was there, there was a young boy that was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting. I had to walk around his body up the stairs to get to my church service. I was supposed to introduce myself to the new pastor as the church gathered together to, to kind of meet the new pastor. And I said, guys, I know I'm supposed to preach tonight, but I can't do it. 
I said, there's a boy that's been killed on the steps of our church. They said, Pastor, you don't understand. The gang members stick to themselves and we stick to ourselves. I said, I know. But can we just go over there and minister to them and just see what God might do? And they said, no, we don't go over there. But they gave me $38. I put it in my pocket. Went across the street to an apartment attached to a liquor store. I knocked on the, the, the door of the apartment. The door flung open. And when they flung open, I was staring in the face of the biggest gang member I'd ever seen in my life. I looked up at him and he looked down at me. And then I looked up at God. And say, God, I've always heard there's a place called heaven. Save me a place because I'm coming home real soon, preferably near Colorado Springs with the great mountains of the, the view of the mountains. And this guy has so many, he has so many tattoos, those left bicep that if he flexed it, the Old Testament could have come out. And the New Testament over here. He said, what do you want? I said, I'm just a new pastor. I want to pray for the family. Make it quick. I said, no problema. I walked in there. I took my $38 and the mother was crying and guys were talking about revenge. And she was saying, get out of my life and chaos everywhere. I gave her the $38, and I'm out the door. And she was so sweet. I'm, but I'm not like David Wilkerson. Have you read that book, The Cross and the Switchblade, where David Wilkerson actually talks to gang members, and he says, if you chop me up, every piece of me will tell you that Jesus loves you. That's not me. I gave her the money. I'm out the door. And as I'm getting closer to the door, a hand grabbed me around and spun me around. And again, I'm staring in the face of this gang member. He said, Padre, Wait. He'll say, did you correct him? No. When you're that big, you can call me Padre, Rabbi, Bishop. You can call me Ray. You can call me Ray J. You can call me anything you want to call me. I want you to do something for me, Padre. I said, brother, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll rub your back. I'll rub your feet. I'll order you a beer. I'll even drink it with you. Just don't kill me. Oh, don't look at me so spiritual. If you're in that situation, you have done whatever you had to do to stay alive at that point. (laughs) He said, Padre, I want you to stay and pray for the family. I didn't know what to do. I just got out of Bible college for two years and halfway through. And Bible college doesn't prepare you for gang ministry 101 and drive-by shooting 102. It's not in the curriculum. And I got together and I began to pray. But I always remember a prayer in Bible school. It's called prayer of need and time of comfort. Which means if you get in trouble, you pray this prayer in time of need and it will help you. It's a memorized prayer that gets you out of trouble. So I got in the center and I began to pray this memorized prayer that I learned in school. And it said, dear Lord, I pray that you'll bless this habitation. With your, I'm, I'm joining hands with the gang members, and I'm praying this prayer. I pray that you bless this habitation and the, your glorification. May your manifestation be here during this presentation, oh God of great sensation. I pray that you bless the birds and the trees and the flowers and the leaves of my knees as they're shaking. Oh, geez, pretty please. I'm like rhyming, like flowing like a rapper. I've never flowed before in my life. I just don't flow. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, God began to speak to me. He said, you will never get this opportunity again of this many gang members in your life. Pray like you really mean it. I begin to pray and say, God, these men need to get saved. They need to get their life right with Jesus. And as I begin to pray, bolder, um, I bolder and bolder, all of a sudden my right hand got squeezed next to me tighter. I said, oh God, he hates my prayer. I'm going down. But if I go down, I might as well get my name in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. So I just kept praying harder and harder. Then my left hand got squeezed next to me tighter. And I looked around that circle and every single one of those guys raised their hand and I gave the invitation and every single one of them said the sinner's prayer and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on the first day in L.A. And after that, I had the best bodyguards my car never got broken into. And I'd go across the street to the liquor store to get me a 40, not that kind of 40, a 40 ounce soda, fountain drink. The guy would say, hola, padre, como estas? I'd say, how you doing, man? And I, and he, I said, but I'm not the padre. I'm a pastor. When are you going to get that right? He said, you're the padre. And the padre gets all the free food and drinks he wants. I said, you say free stuff? I said, yes. I said, I bless you now, my, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's don't get hung up on titles around here. 
And every day it takes me nearly an hour to, sometimes to even get around my office because I walk through eight floors of residential living. Teenagers, instead of going to juvenile hall, the judges are now sending teenagers to the church. They are sentencing kids into the house of God. We have a licensed home for minors, 11 to 17 years of age, and I walk through that floor of those kids. And the human trafficking floor and the homeless families by the hundreds that are living in our building. They have nowhere to go. Women and children living in their cars in 13% unemployment in Los Angeles. That every day the shanty towns of America, our people's cars are showing up by the droves. Even government officials are bringing them because there's no family services like that we're providing for families. I walk through eight floors of residential living and open the window. And I hear the sound of hundreds of ex-convicts singing, give thanks with a grateful heart in an old Catholic chapel. And I say, God, thank you that years ago I died to my dream and decided to live for the welfare of the people. You lose yourself, ladies and gentlemen. I promise you will find yourself, but you'll find yourself in a way that God wants you to find yourself. And the dream that he has for you will be so far beyond anything that you tried to manufacture or find or work towards. When you seek after the welfare of the people, you find the heart of God. Amen. Let's thank God for that. It's powerful stuff, eh? Wow. When I was thinking about it this afternoon, there's a verse in Luke, Luke's gospel, Luke 6, verse 20. It's Jesus, and he looks up at the crowd, and it says, and he looked up at his disciples, the people that were gathered around, and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, it seems strange words to say. We know Matthew's version that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But why this other version that Luke gives us that just says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The word that Jesus uses there for blessed is not this, the, the normal word, the God-blessed but just, it's the more colloquial word. It's the slang word. It's the, man, good for you, the happy, fortunate, man. But would you ever say good for you to those who are poor? Why would Jesus say that? And then you realize that this beatitude, they're not being blessed because they are poor. They're being blessed because in spite of being poor, the kingdom has come to them. And then all of a sudden you realize you start to think of the people that Jesus was looking at when he said this. Not the movers and shakers, not the people in the big cities. You know, Jesus had lots of opportunity to work in big cities. He didn't. There were lots of big arenas, big amphitheaters that Herod had built that Jesus stayed away from. Instead was with these despised, overlooked, downtrodden, common people and says to them how fortunate you are good for you, you who are poor, because the kingdom has come to you. When you realize how amazing it is that we are in on this, that we get to be in this, the church, that we are part of what God is doing, when you realize how blessed we are, it makes you understand that we have a responsibility that's come with this. Long ago, when God first chose one family, Abraham's family, he said to them, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. The plan was always for this to get out. And now all of us sitting in this room can say, man, 
I could say, good for you. The kingdom has come to you. How blessed are you? Lucky are you. You're the, man, so great how this has worked out for you. But what good would that be if we don't realize that with that comes this remarkable calling to be the carriers of blessing to others? That's the kind of church we want to be at New Life Church. Not the kind of church that says, hey, good for you, good for you, hey, good for you, you know. But that's able to go to the unlikeliest of people, the people who are on the margins, on the fringes of society, of the world, and be able to say to them, good for you. Not because of what's going on, but that in spite of all that you're going through, the kingdom, God himself, has come to you. It's remarkable to say that. That's what Matthew and their whole ministry, that's what they're doing. Every time they do this, they're saying, look, in the name of Jesus, we're saying to you, you are blessed because God has come to you. Carrying that, carrying that hope, carrying that good news. There's something stirring in the hearts of Pastor Brady and our elders and our leadership about one day creating something like this, one day doing something like this, one day playing a part, one day in the near future, may hope, hope God willing, to play a part to say, what can we do in this city to say to the least of these, how fortunate are you for we, because we're coming to you, we're carrying the kingdom to you, we're carrying blessing to you, we're carrying the life of God to you. And as a way of sort of saying, okay, God, if this is the church that you're speaking to us about becoming, if this is something you're stirring in our hearts to one day sort of do, then maybe what we can do now is you say, well, there's nothing we can do. We don't have, you know, there's no project to sort of, you know. Maybe a starting point for us, just a focal point for our faith and for our prayers to say, well, let's give to them. What if we give to them? I loved how Matthew was saying, look, there is this something about when you die to yourself, you lose your life, you end up finding it. When you say enough of what I'm trying to create, in, in the service of someone else, we find this. And maybe for us as a church, that in the blessing of Matthew Barnett and their L.A. Dream Center, maybe in the blessing of them, that the Lord opens up a way for us to do the same thing in our city. So I want you to take a moment. We're going to have ushers at the doors on the way out. They'll hold a bucket kind of in you know, sort of inconspicuous, but if, if you want to, if, if there's something stirring in your heart, this is a great opportunity to say, you know what? Yeah, let's put something in for that. There's 39 beds that they have right now for their long-term program to rescue these women who have been rescued from human trafficking. They're the only long-term facility uh, in the country right now that we're aware of, okay? 10-month program kind of a thing. 39 beds is all they have. There, there's the desire, obviously, and the need to create more. And so, what we did this morning was, we said, well, let's give in to that. Why don't we help them get more beds, more rooms, more places for these women who have been rescued from human trafficking? Unheard of to think that it actually happens here in America. And um, what if we're the generation of believers on the planet who said, you know what? We finally recovered our call. We finally recovered that old Abraham call that we have been called blessed so that we can call others blessed as well so that we can carry this blessing to them. If you're making out checks, you can make it out to New Life Church, and every uh, single dollar that's given for this offering will go to the L.A. Dream Center and their ministry there. If you want to put in some change, you can do that too, whatever. But let's pray, and let's make this our, our, our close tonight.
Jesus, thank you that we've become the ones who are blessed, the ones who have, are, have been counted fortunate, the ones who you say the kingdom has come to. We're so grateful for that. So grateful for that. But God, this isn't so we can just go to heaven when we die. This is so we can be carriers of your blessing now. This is so we can say the same hope and the same life to others and say, look, how fortunate for you. Because in spite of being the poor or in spite of being this or that, God himself has come to you. Make us living carriers of that message, of that hope. Make us a church that believes this call, that embraces this call in local ways, in global ways, in small ways, in dramatic ways. Make us a church that lives out on earth as the people of God, carries your blessing to the least of these. One day you'll say to us, inasmuch as we have done for the least of these, we have done for you. Let our worship be the way that we love the least. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday night.